Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. This week will be the first part in a four-part series on the answers to four questions on everyone's mind. Now, we live at a time that is vastly different to what it was pre-January 2020. And whether we like to admit it or not, the research tells us that these four questions are preoccupying most people's minds. Today, I'm going to give you the answers to the first question. And that first question is, how can I make more money? Now, the reality is that in our subconscious, there is a fundamental human need for freedom. And that's why the tree of wealth is one of the eight areas of life in the higher branch framework. And if you are new to a higher branch community, head over to ahigherbranch.com and you will see what one of those frameworks looks like. And that's the framework for holistic living. But like it or not, in today's world, freedom comes from having money to live life on your own terms. But the first step to having freedom starts with defining your wealth in the eight areas of life. Otherwise, you can become a slave to money rather than money providing you freedom. This week's podcast, I'm going to download the real deal when it comes to answering that question of how can I make more money. I'm going to share with you two very important rules and also download the four investment vehicles that are absolutely critical to having freedom. Now, firstly, I want to define what wealth is by reference to our framework. I think wealth is, number one, having good health, high energy, peace of mind, and emotional strength. And that's, of course, the tree of health. Number two, it's being in an intimate relationship where you have physical and emotional affection and intimacy. And, of course, that is a tree of love. Three, it's about having a loving and supportive family where there is unconditional love. And, of course, I'm talking about the tree of family. Number four is being in a job that brings the best out of you. And that's a tree of work. Number five is friends that bring you joy and fun. Of course, I'm talking about the tree of friendship. Next is the tree of learning. And that is the time to read, learn and grow. And lastly, you should define your wealth as having empathy and compassion for others. And that's, of course, a tree of charity. And we cannot really define our wealth in any other way. Notice that I have not defined wealth in monetary terms. But money is important. I'm going to circle back to that. So ultimately, I think money is a double-edged sword. It can help you achieve those things that I just listed as the ones defining your wealth. But it can also stop you from enjoying them if your quest for money robs you of time and energy. I want to address the human desire for money and material wealth because that's important. We shouldn't sweep it under the carpet or deny that it's there or, or pretend that we're not driven by material things. We are. It's hardwired in us. In today's society, there is an underlying guilt associated with wanting to make money. And this guilt is sometimes propagated by popular culture and usually justified by misrepresenting Eastern philosophies and sometimes misquoting Bible scripture such as money is the root of all evil when the correct scripture is in fact 
the love of money that is the root of all evil. Meaning that it is greed and the pursuit of material things at the compromise of the seven other areas of your life that is wrong. You have often heard me say that owning things is not wrong as long as they don't own you. Which means that you should never compromise your humanity in the eight areas of life for the pursuit of money. That's what I mean by that. You should not define your identity by what you own. I always say that things that can be taken away from you is like establishing an identity on shaky foundations. And the moment they're taken away from you, you'll have an identity crisis and may even end up suffering from depression. And I've seen that happen many times. One of the reasons I founded a higher brand success academy was because I saw many of my colleagues in the corporate world compromise and in some cases destroy their health, family, relationships, all the seven other areas of life in the pursuit of profit and promotions and climbing the corporate ladder or the all ordinaries 200. So at a higher branch, we contextualize wealth as filling the fundamental need for freedom. That's what wealth is all about. Freedom to live in the eight areas of life daily. Freedom to take care of your health. Freedom to spend time with your partner. Freedom to spend time with your children and your family. Freedom to relax and unwind. Freedom to read a good book. Freedom to stop and smell the roses. So I ask you, Where is the freedom in having to work long hours to buy things that sit there collecting dusk because you don't have the time to enjoy them? There's no freedom in that. In fact, that is a form of enslaving yourself. So here is the principle. Wait for it. Freedom should not be defined simply by how much money you have, but also by how much time you have to enjoy in the eight areas of life. So the objective of making money is to give you more time to enjoy yourself in all eight areas of your life. That is time to work less and live more. So you've heard me say this, spend less, work less, live more. So therefore, the real question reframing wealth is this. How much money do I really need to have more time? And the answer ultimately depends on how much money you feel you need to spend to be happy. Now, whenever I say this, the obvious questions will pop up. How do I spend less? Meaning, what things do I really need to buy? Number two, how do I work less? Meaning, how much time do I really need to commit to my job or business when that is the thing that's making me money? And lastly is, how do I live more? Meaning, do I really know what to do with my time Or will I end up spending it on Netflix and other frivolous pursuits? Now, the answer to these three questions is a critical step in achieving freedom. I'm not going to kid you, but it is also outside the scope of this podcast and one that will be covered at Upgrade Your Life 2022. Incidentally, a quick word on Upgrade Your Life 2022. It is going ahead. It's booked for January the 22nd and the 23rd, and you'll hear more about Upgrade Your Life. We will be announcing the theme very shortly, and some of our speakers. I'm really excited to be presenting uh, this to you, and I think it's going to be our best Upgrade Your Life ever. And if you want to stay in touch or be the first to know when we announce these things, please head over to our website and sign up, because it is our community that will first receive the invitation. Okay, now that we have identified the principles to defining your wealth, I want to take you through the two rules to making more money. Whether you work for someone or have your own business, my number one rule to making more money 
is to exceed expectations. Now, I know that sounds like a cliche, but hear me out. Hear what my definition of that sounds and looks like. Now, you all know that I'm an entrepreneur and I never bring anything to you that I've just read in a book. I've lived and breathed it in my own business at MSA National and more recently at a higher branch. So the question is, how do you exceed expectations? In today's competitive world, you need to go above and beyond to stand out, attract customers or spark that promotion. And that is your reality. You need to stand out. What does it mean to go above and beyond? It simply means that you need to make a positive impact on all the stakeholders in all your interactions, not just your end consumer, but with your team, your suppliers, and within your own industry. Now, when I say interactions, it could be an email, a phone call, a face-to-face meeting, or any place on the value chain that you are involved. Your aim is to make the person you're interacting with feel like your contribution made a material impact on the customer experience. I always tell my team, you need to spark a response after that interaction where the other person walks away thinking, wow, I was not expecting that. So you become memorable. So in short, you need to make your contribution unforgettable so people talk about you. And this is how a personal brand is built and how a business goes from being small to being large. If you're a business owner listening to this, Remember that all big businesses, whether it's Apple or Google, they were once small. They were once started by one or two or three people. And the main reason they became big is because they exceeded expectations. And as a result, they created a following of raving fans. So now, before I talk to you about rule number two, I want to circle back and keep reminding you of what is real wealth. And I said earlier that it's about having more time, but I want to add another more important element to that. And I left it just before sharing rule two with you because it is important that what the definition of real wealth is before we discuss rule number two, because I'm going to share with you the one mistake that most people make with rule number two. Real wealth is about having more time. Yes, but even more importantly, it's about having high energy. When I say more time, more time to enjoy in the eight areas of life and not just work. I'm amazed at how much time people spend at work and how little they spend on the seven other areas. And to me, that is not wealth. As I said earlier, that is a form of self-imprisonment. And whenever I confront people who spend too much time at work, even though in one-on-one coaching, they'll say to me that the most important things in their life, and they put their hand on their heart and they say, it's my family. It's my partner, it's my health, it's my friends. But I say, you're spending 70 to 80% of your time and your energy bandwidth at work. So what's your plan? And it's at this point that I discover that for a lot of people, and this could resonate with you, and if it does, I want you to really think about this. Are you using work as an escape from your problems in your personal life? Because people will look at our eight areas of life as a framework for holistic living and agree with it and nod and say, absolutely, I get it. But they neglect those parts of their personal life because they find it easier to be at work. Now, if you're one of those people, stay tuned for a future podcast on this topic, but also read my book, A Higher Branch, where I discuss this very topic in detail. 
And I promise you it's an eye-opener. And, and please, I recommend this to you without judgment because I've made that mistake in my life. When I was in my 30s and early 40s, I've made that mistake time and time again. Now, let's go back to the definition of real wealth as having more time and high energy. Now, I think energy is a better currency than both time and money because with high energy, you can do more in your day. And ultimately, that is what living is all about, having the energy to do as much as you can each and every day. In fact, I think lifespan should not be measured by the years in your life, but rather the life in your years. That is, by how much you actually accomplish in the eight areas of life on a daily basis. And you've often heard me say, I'd rather live a year as a lion than a thousand years as a sheep. And that is a quote that I've heard somewhere. But it is so true. If you have limited energy and you can only get two or three things done in the eight areas of life per day and you're not that effective and your energy is so low that it takes you, you know, 20 minutes to complete a task that should otherwise take you three minutes, you're really not living. You're going through the motions, you are awake, but you're not filling your life with meaningful activities. So that's why energy is the number one currency before time and before money. But there is a synergistic relationship between the three, but I want you to prioritize your energy. And we've talked on many podcasts, we've had guests who have talked about how to maximize your energy. And a lot of us really know a lot of these practical tips, but we like to hear it and rehear it. Okay, let's talk about the role of money then when it comes to having more time and more energy. So if real wealth is about having more time and more energy, the question becomes, how do I have more of both? So the answer does circle back to money and what I call the money conundrum. And this is where the game of life balance is won and lost. I promise you. So let me explain. Now, whether you earn a salary, a commission, or make a profit from owning a business, earning a living does not make you free. Only passive income does that. Because passive income from, say, things such as shared dividends, positively geared real estate holdings, and passive income from a business that runs itself, whether you are there or not, that is the true definition of passive income. But that does not mean that you stop working when you have enough passive income. No, because your energy will crash when you stop working. Let me explain. I want to make an important insight to highlight a typical mistake that a lot of people make when they start having enough passive income. So some feel that the aim is to build up enough passive income sources so they don't have to work at all. This approach is wrong because it's like saying, I want to get married so I can stop dating. Now, you should never stop dating in a successful marriage, otherwise it will fail. Likewise, you should never stop working when you have passive income and freedom because the tree of work fills a fundamental human need for fulfillment. And fulfillment is needed for energy levels to rise. That's why there is that relationship between work and energy levels, between money and energy levels. Working gives you a purpose. And not just that, if you focus on making a difference from your job or your business, working also fills a fundamental human need for contribution. That is the tree of charity. Especially if you have a job where you get to see how the fruits of your labor directly helps others. In my industry, we have mortgage brokers that don't sell home loans. They put people in a home. Whether it's the newly married couple that is excited but apprehensive about buying their first apartment. 
or about that same couple two years later after they've had the first baby, one of them has to stop working and they need to consolidate their debts and refinance or whether they're graduating up to their second home because their family is growing. That's what a lot of mortgage brokers will focus on, the difference that they're making. And that makes them feel great. It ticks that tree of charity circle in the eight areas of life because it fills a fundamental human need for contribution. As I said earlier, I started a higher brain success academy because I saw so many colleagues in the corporate world destroy their health and relationships in their quest to make money. Still, conversely, I also started to see colleagues overcorrect by abandoning their work to pursue an overly obsessive, healthy lifestyle, one filled with supplements, yoga classes, only to lose their way and lose their sense of self-worth. And to their frustration, the energy levels comes crashing down, even though they say they're living a healthy lifestyle. And I've come across these people and they ask me the question, they say, what am I doing wrong? I said, you're ignoring the tree of work and the tree of charity. You've replaced one problem with another. There's a synergistic force between the eight areas of life where if you start to neglect one, your energy levels will start to dip and impact your performance in the others. You can't neglect any. So the biggest mistake you can do when you have enough money for freedom is to neglect work completely. And I wanted to point that out because I don't want people to have problems in their life and to start dumping on their work. Their work is not the problem. It's the way they've managed their energy levels, their time, and their money across the eight areas of life. So what is the answer? The objective is not to neglect the seven other areas of life in the pursuit of building a business or climbing the corporate ladder. And likewise, your objective is not to completely abandon your work when you make money. As I said, that will only make you feel lost and rudderless, and that's not real wealth. So what is the objective? The objective is to work for love, not money. The objective is to work because you want to, not have to. The objective is to work for fulfillment and a sense of achievement. Ironically, people who take this approach end up making the most money because working for love makes you fearless, makes you bold. And fortune not only favors the brave, but it also favors the bold because this makes you play a bigger game and makes you more effective. I promise you this because... I've made those mistakes I mentioned earlier and my life started changing and I started making more money when I adopted that very principle. So ultimately, real wealth is about having enough time and energy for the eight areas of life. Money does play a role in giving you time, but only when you assess how much you really need to live a happy life. In other words, how much money you really need to live a happy life. For many, they don't know how much is enough because they keep shifting the goalposts every time they spend and every time they borrow and borrow. The fact is that the more you spend, the more money you need to make and the more personal freedom you need to sacrifice. There it is in a nutshell. That's my quotable quote from this podcast. Let me repeat it. The more you spend, the more money you need to make and the more personal freedom you need to sacrifice. Remembering the tree of wealth is about freedom. It fills a fundamental human need for freedom. Now, whenever I make this point, most people in denial, and I was one of those, will say that they have a plan to stop and enjoy life when they reach certain money targets. When I pay off the mortgage, when I get my investment property, when I get that promotion. Now, that can be in your 30s, 40s, 50s, or even your 60s. 
My argument is that the less you spend, the younger you can be to have that freedom. It's really a simple formula. If you want freedom at a young age, spend less. Unfortunately, the big challenge is in knowing what to spend on and what not to spend on. You don't want to compromise your happiness by being too miserly and too stingy. It comes down to the what value you put on things. This is probably one of the most important questions you can ask yourself in life. Here it is. Do I really need to buy this? Is the short-term boost in happiness worth having to defer my sense of long-term freedom? The answers to these questions are really outside the scope explored in this podcast because it is highly personal and it's one that really needs a deeper dive into one-on-one coaching. But it's also one that will be covered at Upgrade Your Life 2022. One of our guests will be a wealth creation expert who adopts the principles that I'm talking about in this podcast. But I hope for now that I have you thinking. But as a clue, I want you to consider a couple of scenarios that will demonstrate my point. I just can't leave you there. One is, especially if you have kids, what difference does it make when you're sitting enjoying the evening meal with your family, whether you're sitting on a $20 Ikea chair or a $2,000 designer chair? It makes absolutely no difference to the love and the connection you feel in the tree of family when you're sitting enjoying the evening meal. Yeah? Let me give you another scenario which will demonstrate my point even more. Imagine you have two families on a Sunday One of the families goes to the farmer's markets together and they buy about $40 worth of groceries, vegetables, and then they go back home and a few of them chop the carrots, chop the celery. They're stirring the pot (laughs) in in both ways and they're cooking, enjoying it, listening to music together while they're cooking. You know, other family members will set the table. Then they sit down and enjoy a nice long lunch. And then after that, they play backyard cricket or touch footy or whatever it is. But they've just spent $40. Another family who may have the money or may not have the money. But let's assume it's a wealthy family that has the money. Instead of doing that, they go to a restaurant. And they sit and they have an amazing long lunch where they're talking and taking happy Instagram snaps of their food and they spend four or $500 at a restaurant. Now, my question to you is this, who's the wealthier of those two families? The answer is this, they are both wealthy because they both enjoyed their company. They both sat and enjoyed a long lunch together. But my point is one did not have to spend $400 to have the same impact on their, their love and their happiness in the tree of family. So my point is you don't need money to have that sense of freedom and to define your happiness correctly when it comes to the tree of wealth. And again, if you read chapter eight in my book, A Higher Branch, there are many principles that I go through when it comes to this very point, because it's an important question that you need to ask yourself. As I said, do I really need to buy this? And You need to balance that with not being too miserly and stingy. So it comes down to the value you put on things. And from those two scenarios that I just outlined, really, you got to fine tune how you value things. In my view and how I value things, 
I actually prefer to go to the farmer's market and spend the time to cook together and to clean together and to play together because doing things together as a family is what builds a strong bond. It's not just eating together. It's the journey in the process of cooking, setting the table. It's those beautiful segues between before and after the meal that really completes the whole experience. Okay, I want to talk about my second rule to making more money. So we've already established that the aim of money is to give you more time and uh, to enjoy in the eight areas of life and not to enslave you to your job or business. Now, we've also established that the first rule to making more money is to exceed expectations. My second rule to make more money is through investing in income-producing and capital growth assets. Now, my investment strategy is unique to me, but is not unique in itself. So in all cases, you should always get specific advice from your accountant or financial advisor. What I'm sharing with you hopefully will give you some ideas and hopefully will arm you with the questions that you can ask your accountant or financial advisor. Now, in my view, there are four vehicles for investing, and these are, to me, in the order of priority. Again, I stress these are to me. Number one is investing in yourself. Now, I have been talking about that earlier, and I am going to get to investing in the, the traditional investment vehicles, but hear me out, because I think this is my first most important investment vehicle. You need to see yourself and your energy levels as your number one asset. And remember, it's assets that make you a passive income. So you need to view your energy levels as your number one currency because, in my experience, people with the highest energy get more done in less time, more sustainably, and have the biggest impact. And they end up having more time to devote to these seven other areas of life. They tend to be the most energetic and engaged people in the room. As a consequence, they tend to make more money, much more. So you need to invest your money on things that make you happier and healthier and therefore boost your energy levels and make you more effective at work. Now, when I say on things, I don't mean material things. I'm referring to good quality food, quality supplements, good health care, meditation coaching, personal training, attending courses, mentoring, just about anything that boosts your energy and your vitality and makes you feel alive. And you remember my number one rule when it comes to the things that you should be doing and should not be doing. If it gives you high energy, then focus on those things. If it gives you low energy, it's your spirit crying out for help saying, I don't like this. I don't want to do this. And it's different for all of us. Okay, so the number one vehicle for investing is investing in yourself. Number two, and this is if you have one, it's investing in your own business. The biggest mistake that people in their own business make is that whenever they start making money, instead of reinvesting it in their own business, hiring more people, developing their machines or their tools or their automation, they take those profits and they invest it in other people's businesses. Now, when I say other people's businesses, I usually mean businesses listed on the stock exchange because they think there's an easier way to make money, and that is by investing in other people's businesses. And yes, that is an important business investment vehicle, and I'm going to talk about that. But if you own your own business, you should be reinvesting your profits in your own business. And if you don't, it's a defeatist attitude. And if you don't, you will find your business 
falling further and further behind as your competitors start investing in new technologies, new products, new people. I have a lot of people that complain, I spend too much time at work, but they take their profits and instead of hiring someone to take over some of the tasks that they're doing, they go and invest it. And then they sit there watching the stock market all day. That is not your second priority. That's your third priority. But your second priority is to invest your money in your own business. And I promise you that that will yield the better returns than investing in other people's businesses on the stock market. Now, having said that, my third vehicle for investing is to invest in other people's businesses. And we're talking about shares on the stock market. And I want to share with you my rules for that. And it doesn't contradict the previous rule because I do have my own business. But when you are efficient in your own business... When I say efficient, you're efficient to the point where you give your people at least 45 minutes lunch and your people are going home at 5 p.m. and you're still making great profits. And on top of that, the profits you are making is sustaining your standard of living and the profits is also are used to reinvesting in your own business. But still on top of that, you still have what I call super profits. That's the money you use to invest on the stock market. So I want to share with you how I invest on the stock market. I invest 20% of the money into companies and businesses that I like. So if I like a product or a service and I've had that interaction with that company and I really enjoyed that experience, I will do research on that company. For example, recently I did a lot of research on Tesla and I purchased Tesla very early on last year because I liked the business and I liked the management team. Then I started looking at other companies that are supplying Tesla and I thought, who's supplying batteries? So I started looking for those businesses and reading up on them. You need to like the business. Don't invest in companies on the stock market purely because it'll make money. Yes, there are some companies that will go up and share price and you say to yourself, I should have invested in that company. But you also need to love the company. And yes, sometimes you'll miss out on some capital growth or dividends from companies that you didn't invest in because you don't like their business. For example, I never have and never will invest in cigarette companies, but I do invest in companies like Tesla or Apple, or or I won't mention too many more because I don't want everyone uh, to take this as gospel. My point is this, when I invest 20% of my money allocated for shares in these companies, whatever profits I make, I then put into an 80% pool that I then invest in index funds. And I'm going to share with you some of the index funds that I've invested in that I like because these are index funds managed by people. And again, my rule is, do I like those people? For example, I really like Kathy Woods and her investment principles. So I've invested in index funds like ARKW or ARKK that are listed on the US Stock Exchange. Other index funds that I like are run by Vanguard. Another one that I like is, the code is FMX. A few of the Vanguard index funds that I like is VHY, uh, VAS. I also like MVW. I'm just giving you the codes here to make it uh, shorter. IAA, these are all listed on the Australian uh, Stock Exchange. IEU, which is an investment in European stocks. My recent favorite is M. HG, 
which is Magellan Global. And there's quite a few out there. And I'm sure if you go searching and researching, you'll find many index funds that take the hard work away so you can focus on your business, focus on the eight areas of life without having to watch the stock market every day. Because when it comes to index funds, you've got to go for the long term. Your business is not in trading, getting in and out. Your business is to focus on your own business, to focus on your health, focus on your family, on your partner, on your friends, on your continuous learning, focusing on the eight areas of life. Okay, let's talk about my fourth investment vehicle. And this is the dance between the third and the fourth. And that is, of course, real estate. And more specifically, positively geared real estate, uh, if you can. What I did when I was younger, the money that I made on the stock market, I would take out when I had enough for a deposit and buy real estate. So that's what you should be doing. When I say there's a dance between the stock market and real estate, it's you use the stock market to leverage up to get enough money to buy real estate. And then you go through the circle again, build up enough savings, invest it on the stock market. You make more and you take what you've made and then you buy more real estate. When you get to a level of maturity where you have enough real estate and enough shares and index funds, then you should be splitting your investments across both those investment vehicles. Now, as to what percentage split is completely up to you. And of course, as I said, always get the advice of your accountant or financial advisor or stockbroker. And I don't say this just as a disclaimer, but honestly, these are the people that know you really well. And they know your finances. I'm not in favor of doing my own plumbing. If I want a plumber, I get a plumber. So don't try and do it yourself and don't take my word for it. For me, it's a 50-50 split. But for others, it may be 80% stock market and 20% real estate. For most people that I know, it's the opposite, 80% real estate. But you get my drift when it comes to the four vehicles of investing. And look, I hope that this week's episode of A Higher Branch has you thinking about the question that you're asking yourself daily, and I know you're asking it, and that is how can I make more money? So remember to define your wealth properly. And remember that wealth is about freedom. Remember that freedom is about having more time to live in the eight areas of life. And remember that the ultimate freedom is to have so much energy that you don't compromise your time in any of the eight areas of life. And whether you have $100 million in your bank account, $10 million, $1 million, or you're living from paycheck to paycheck, I live by the principle of spend less, work less, and live more. And the only way to know what to spend less on is to really define what is most important to you. And remember those two scenarios I, I gave you, especially the scenario of the two families, one that spent $40 at the markets and the one that spent $400 in the restaurant. So I hope I have you thinking about the question of how do I make more money? But stay tuned for next week's episode where I address the second question. And again, these are questions that you may not be asking yourself consciously, but I promise you all the research shows that subconsciously, this is the second question on everyone's mind. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. Until next time, as always, my friends, don't forget to live consciously. Consciously.